Well, before we look into God's word together, let us come before him in prayer again. Let us speak with our God. Heavenly Father, it is such a wonderful thing that you have allowed us to live one more day in this world so that we can read your word and hear your word preached. Lord, we pray that we may not waste this day that you have blessed us with and that we may use it to understand more about you and what you have done for us and that we may live lives that are in accordance with your word in the future days that you bless us with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the words, the end, are words that we often hear in our society, and particularly when it comes to films. Uh, We come to the end of the film, the credits start to roll, and we recognise this is the end of that story. Or in books, uh, we see the words, the end. Uh, When we ploughed through a novel of some sort, we find that the novel does not continue. It is not a never-ending story. In fact, it does and indeed, and this can be a time of sadness for us when we're reading a book that we really enjoy. At the moment, I've been working my way through the works of Charles Dickens, and uh, some of those novels are gripping. They're really fun, and you start to really uh, develop quite a relationship, uh, you think, with uh, the characters in that. You really delight in them and love them, and you want to hear about what happens Further on, once the story has ended, you still want to find out what what happens next. And sadly, the words, the end, uh, rise on the page and you only have your imagination to try and work out what would have happened with those characters uh, that you've loved so much. You may have spent hours and hours investing in uh, getting to know them and suddenly uh, they are finished and you don't get to hear any more about them. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the subject of the end and a particular end uh, that is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been slowly working through 1 Peter chapter 4 and we've come to verse 7. Verse 7, and we see there that an end is mentioned. And so I encourage you to have your Black Church Bible open there or your own Bible if you have to 1 Peter chapter 4, which is found on page 1203 of the Black Church Bibles. And we see there in verse 7 that an end is mentioned. We see the end of all things, Peter says, is near. And so my first main point this morning is about this end. And so my first main point is the end of all things. The end of all things. What is an end? Well, an end is a conclusion or a finish, just like we've been, uh, been talking about with the end of a book. It's a conclusion of the book. So what is the end that Peter is talking about here? What is he speaking about when he suddenly says in verse 7, the end of all things is near? Well, some people think that he's actually talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. You've got to remember that uh, Jerusalem at this time was a much better place than it, uh, uh, for the Jews than it is today. And we've seen that even in this last week. It's not a pleasant place to be. Uh, but at this point, the Jews were still in, in control of Jerusalem and they had their temple. It was there. And uh, it's not until AD 70 that the temple is destroyed. But if Peter was written in AD 63, 64, then we recognize the temple is still standing and the Jews still have great control of Jerusalem. Although, of course, the Romans are there over arching everything, but the Jews did have a lot of freedom there in Jerusalem. And then in AD 70, uh, we see the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the destruction of the temple, and it's never been rebuilt, even to this day. And so some people say, well, Peter, as a Jew, 
uh, is quite concerned about such a thing, and we see Jesus uh, predicting that those kinds of things would happen in the Gospels, uh, that uh, Jerusalem would be destroyed. And so some people think, oh, he's meaning in seven years' time or so, the end will come, the end of Jerusalem. But I don't find that convincing because, of course, we've got to remember verse 7 says the end of all things is near. And really, Jerusalem, I mean, it is a very big part of the Jews' lives. But is it really all things? Would you really say that Jerusalem is the be-all and end-all of everything? And so I don't find that convincing. Some people would suggest instead that Peter is talking about the end of your life, the end of your life as an individual. And the reason may be because they connect it back, verse 7, to what we've read previously and talked about last week in verse 6. What was verse 6 about? Well, verse 6 was about uh, people being judged who had heard the gospel in the past but are now dead. And so... They connect verse 7 back to verse 6 and they do this uh, for uh, one reason is that it's very hard to see in the NIV because we don't have a little conjunction word at the beginning of verse 7. The NIV has left it out. There's a little Greek word that is often translated as and or now or then or so. Uh, the K- KJV, the King James Version, has included the word but uh, to try and uh, convey the sense that's coming across there that 7 is connected to verse 6. And so they say, because verse 6 is talking about people who are now dead, that Peter is now saying, okay, and the end of all things for you is coming soon as well. You're going to die soon, and uh, that is a reality of life. Yes, everybody dies, and it is all too soon quite often for people. They are not ready to go. The end comes quite rapidly. But then the question is, is that really representative of all things? Now, for you as an individual, maybe you think all life revolves around you and all things really is all about you. And so when you die, yes, that really will be the end of all things. But most of us aren't so egotistic. We don't think that the entire world revolves around us. And so it's a bit far-fetched to think that verse 7, when it says the end of all things, is talking about us dying. Instead, I think it's talking about the end of all things of Judgment Day. And this is actually linked back into not verse 6, but verse 5, which we looked at two weeks ago. What was verse 5 about? Well, it was about God judging the living and the dead. Verse 5 reads, But they will have to give account, that's people who abuse Christians, to him, that's God, Jesus, uh, appointed by God as judge, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And again and again we see in the scriptures that, yes, when the end of the world comes, that is judgment day, and all things will wind up on that day. Life as we know it in this world will end. Everything that we know as being uh, right and, and what is in accordance with the way life continues going on, that will come to an end. And that is what Peter speaks, is speaking about here, and I think he means that Judgment Day will bring an end to all things because of what he himself says about Judgment Day, not in 1 Peter, but in 2 Peter. I'll get you to turn a couple of pages over into Peter's second letter. He wrote both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and verse uh, 10 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10, we see what Peter thinks will happen on Judgment Day. In verse 10 we read of Second Peter, which is page 1206 of the Black Church Bibles, But the day of the Lord 
will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. There it's talking about destruction. And the destruction about just a couple of things? Destruction of Jerusalem? No, it's just talking about the destruction of all things. The heavens and the earth as we know them will be destroyed. And so this is what Peter is speaking about in 1 Peter chapter 3 when he says the end of all things is near. He's meaning judgment day is coming when life as we know it will cease. Where this world with all that we've accumulated here, it's terrible to think all that money you've invested to all your possessions, your house, your car, um, if you're like me, your books, what will happen to them? One massive bonfire. You've invested so much into those things and they would be destroyed along with everything else on this planet. So this is what Peter is saying. The end of all things is coming. But when is it coming? What does he say in verse 7? The end of all things is near. And that's my second main point this morning. The end of all things is near. You can see my main points there on the back of the church bulletin. And my second is the end of all things is near. The first was that the end of all, what is the end of all things? The second is that it is near. Now, typically, when someone tells you that the world is going to end and end soon, you think they're a bit crazy. You don't, why? Because there's been numerous predictions in the past that the world was going to end. And what has happened? The world has carried on. The sun keeps coming up each day and keeps going down. And despite what people say about the world coming to an end, it just keeps on rolling around. And if you go on Wikipedia, you can actually look at a catalogue. Some, some people or some individuals collectively together have listed all the major predictions uh, that people have made about the world coming to an end in the past and how those have not come to be true at all because the world has carried on. And even more recently, we've seen a, a Christian in America, uh, he was uh, the president of Family Radio Christian Network over there last year, predicted that on May 21st, 2011, he had worked out some sort of code that said that the world was going to end on May 21st, 2011. The day rolled around and uh, he was a bit shamefaced, I think, after it, but then he revised it to the 21st of October. His, uh, that That's really when the whole world would end. The first one was a spiritual end. The second one is when it's really going to end. And, of course, the 21st of October rolled around last year, and I don't know if you remember in the media about it. Uh, and since then, uh, Harold Camping has not made much of the news uh, since uh, because he predicted that the world would end. And what happened? The world carried on. So, what is the problem with this when people say the end is near? Well, it's not that people deny that the world will end one day. Even scientists uh, who generally will say, oh, they're not, uh, there are Christian scientists, of course, uh, but secular scientists will say that the world will end one day. They say roughly in about four to five billion years' time, the world as we know it will cease to exist. And some scientists are even downgrading that prediction now to an earlier time, 
to a nearer time because of uh, the perceived climate change and the problems of global warming. And so it's not that saying that the world is going to end is such a crazy thing. It's saying that it's going to end soon. That's going to be that the end of the world is near. So when Peter says the end of the world is near, what are we to say about this? Is Peter crazy? Or is he wrong about this? Particularly given the fact that how long ago has it been since Peter wrote this? It's been just under 2,000 years since Peter wrote this. And has the world come to an end? No, we're still here. The sun keeps coming up each day and the sun keeps going down each day. So what is Peter on about here? Is it true that the end of the world is near? Is it definitely near, as Peter says it is? Or is he crazy or is he just plain wrong? I've got five reasons why the end of the world is indeed near, and you can see them there on the back of the church bulletin under uh, my second main point of the end of all things is near. The first reason is because Peter is definitely saying that the end of the world is very soon. It's not as though we've somehow misunderstood Peter when it says the end of all things is near. That's not actually what he means, and this is a bad translation. The actual Greek word is definitely referring to something that is close. Uh, This Greek word is used in other contexts to refer to when you're near or approaching someone or something. And so when uh, Jesus says, look, here comes my betrayer, Jesus uh, draw, uh, Judas draws near to Jesus, and it's the same Greek word. Draw, and Judas was right there, next to Jesus. He's drawing near to him. It also refers to time, when something is coming near as well. And so Jesus, when he uh, that night on Gethsemane, before he went uh, to be crucified, he said to his disciples, the hour is near, and then he says, look, here comes my betrayer, in Matthew 26, 45. He uses that same Greek word that Peter uses here to say near. So it's not as though we misunderstood Peter when he says near, that somehow it's Not really that, it's really, he means four to five billion years away. No, he's using a Greek word that conveys immediately, almost here, very, very soon. So then the question is, okay, well, is that just Peter's opinion, that the end is near? And that's my second reason for why we know the end of the world is near, is that Peter has the support of other biblical writers. It's not as though Peter only says the end of all things is near, and nobody else in the Bible says that. For example, in James 5 verse 8, James says, You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So James agrees with the Apostle Peter. Then Jesus himself in Revelation 22.20 at the very end of the Bible says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Jesus thinks he's coming back soon. Hebrews 10.25 I'm not sure who wrote Hebrews. Lately I've been thinking Apollos is a pretty good candidate, but it's very difficult to know. Uh, Let us not give a meeting together in 1025, it says, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We can see the day approaching. We can see that the end is near, the author of Hebrews says. The Apostle John says in 1 John 2.18, we know it is the last hour. When you say something is in the last hour, you mean time's up. It's coming to an end. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 says, The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He is coming back soon. So we've got James, we've got Jesus, we've got uh, the author of Hebrews, whoever he may be. We've got John the Apostle and we've got Paul, all agreeing with Peter 
that the end of all things is near. So if you're going to write Peter off as delusional, then you have to write off most of the New Testament authors as well, that they are delusional, that the end of all things is coming soon. And even worse, you have to write off who wrote the Bible after all? God. You have to say that God is delusional, that God is in error when he says that all things is, is, uh, are coming to an end. Because we have to remember that ultimately it is not Peter speaking here in 1 Peter 4 verse 7, but it is God who is saying the end of all things is near, which is a good reason to believe that the end of all things is near if you believe in a God who does speak to us and who speaks truthfully. And thirdly, another reason why we know the end of all things is near is because you know the end is near because God's timing is different from ours. So when Peter says the end of all things is near, we've got to remember that's God saying the end of all things is near. And yes, our conception of near uh, can mean in the next hour or someone is coming uh, very soon. But we've got to remember that this is God speaking and God's conception of time is very different from ours. In fact, in Psalm 90 verse 4, we read, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day. A thousand years are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. And then Peter himself picks up on that idea in Psalm 90 and says it in, re- in relation to judgment in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. A couple pages forward. We're going to come back to 2 Peter 3 a couple of times because it fits in nicely uh, with what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So we've got to remember that when God says the, Lord, uh, the end of all things is near, well, in what sense is that? Is it in God's sense that all things are near? And so if a thousand years are like a day to God, then how long has it been since Jesus was crucified? He was crucified 33 AD, which means it hasn't even been 48 hours since, in God's timing since Jesus was crucified. And it's been a lot less when we consider that this was written in 63 AD, 63, 64 AD. It's been not that long at all. And realistically, if you consider how long the world has been in existence, if you believe um, the biblical record and when God created the heavens and the earth and it's roughly 7,000 years old, the world, how, how long has it been since God started off the world with day one? Basically a week if a thousand years are like a day. So it hasn't really been that long at all since Peter said the day, the end of all things is near. In God's timing, it's not been long at all. It's been less than 48 hours since Peter said this. And so when we say, oh, it's been 2,000 years and so Peter is clearly wrong, well, we've got to be cautious there because In God's eyes, it hasn't been very long at all. And then it's not like we don't have evidence that the end of all things is near either. And so my fourth reason why we can definitely know that the end of all things is near is because we have experiences of the future world already here. Like a sunset demonstrates the end of a day, you start to get tastes of what night brings as that sun goes down. And we already have glimpses of what heaven will be like here on earth. 
We already see things like barriers between man and God being removed. That relationship is restored with God as it will be in completely restored in heaven. Cultural barriers between Jews and Gentiles are removed. We see that in this world. As people at Dremoyne Baptist Church, we see so many people from different nationalities gathered here in union with one another. That's a little taste of what it will be in heaven, where there will be people of all nations gathered together, worshipping God together. We have a little taste of that already, the next world coming here on earth. We already have, uh, we see that people turn from grief to joy. There is true joy known amongst Christians. What will we be having in heaven? There will be no more sadness, no more tears. And that's what's happening here on earth. We, we are able to get through grief because of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. We see people recovering from sickness and suffering. We see this particularly when Jesus was on the earth. What will heaven be like? There'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain. We see that already happening here on earth to some extent. And, of course, we see a little hint of what the next life brings when we see people coming back to life. And we see that happening in the Bible and we see it particularly happening with one individual in particular coming back to life in a way that he didn't die after that. We see that with the other people who are raised to life in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. What happens to them? They die again. Lazarus is not still here on earth. But Jesus, when he came back to life, he stayed alive. And that's a taste of the next world. We see hints, just like the sunset going down, we see little tastes of the night coming. So we see the tastes of the new kingdom coming. The end of all things is here because we see hints of heaven already here on earth. And then my fifth reason as to why we can know that the end of the world is definitely coming and is near is because there's no other stage in redemption remaining. All things doesn't just mean all physical things in this world when Peter says all things, the end of all things is near. It also means the end of God's plan of redemption. All the major events have happened in God's plan of redeeming sinful people to himself. We've seen creation happen in the scriptures. We've seen fall of man. We've seen the calling of Abraham, the exodus from Egypt, the kingdom of Israel, the exile into Babylon, return from exile, the birth of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and he's pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto Christians to establish the church. What remains to happen? The consummation. Jesus to come back and heaven to be uh, for us to go into heaven to be with him. That's what remains. That's all that there is. We're not waiting for another Christ to come first before Jesus returns and takes us to heaven. There's no other stage left to go. We're in the last act of the play. If you're going to look at all the world, all life is a stage, we're in the last act. The end is indeed coming. Everything is ready for Christ to return and rule. Just the curtain could fall at any time. So the end of all things is indeed near. Peter is true when he says this here. He's telling the truth. And so are the other biblical writers. Now, if the end of all things is near, what are you to do then? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. The end of all things is near, so repent and believe. You need to set your house in order. You need to do what the rest of verse 7 says. What does the rest of verse 7 say? Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You need to be 
uh, clear-minded and self-controlled. You need to think clearly about what it means that the end of all things is near and pray about that. In future weeks, once I come back from annual leave, I'll speak a bit more about what it means to be self-controlled and clear-minded and what you should be praying about and how uh, thinking about the end of all things, how that reflects in your life. But the first and foremost thing that I wanted to just say this morning as we reflect on the fact that the end of all things is near is that the first thing you need to do is repent of your sins and believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You need to sort out yourself with God because you don't know if Jesus will be back in two minutes' time. You don't know if he'll be back tonight. You don't know if he'll be back in a week. You just know he's coming and it's going to be soon. And so you need to make sure you're in a right relationship with God right now. And how do you do that? You repent of your sins and you believe that Jesus Christ died for you. You need to do it today. Because God's patience with you at the moment, and he is being patient with you, will not last. Flip back over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, which we just read. First Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is being patient with you now. He's not slow. It's not as though he's kind of lost his watch and doesn't know that it's the last hour and he's trying to work out when to come back. He is being patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to him in repentance, is what he says there in verse 9. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Have you come to repentance? Have you admitted your sorry for your sins and trusted that Jesus Christ has died for you? That is why this day is here, for you to be repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus Christ is here. Otherwise, he would have ended it a lot earlier ago, and you would never have repented. But instead, he is allowing you to have one more day. may let you have a couple more after this, but you don't know. You need to repent now and trust in Jesus. What is the alternative to doing that? Well, the alternative is to be someone who scoffs at this idea. Just flip back one page, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, page 1205. And Peter speaks about other people and their response to hearing that the end of all things is near. What does he say in verse 3? First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Scoffing at the fact that the end is coming is not a new concept. People, Peter says, will come in the last days, and we are in the last days now, and scoff at it. But that's even not new just in the last days that people scoffed. People scoffed back in the time of Noah. They said, what's this numbskull building a huge boat in the middle of nowhere where there's no water? Why is he doing this? He's an idiot. But Noah knew that the end of the world, as he knew it, was coming to an end quite rapidly. And Peter is warning you today, don't be a scoffer. 
Don't be someone who scoffs at the fact that you've had a warning from God. God has been so gracious in just telling you that the end of all things is near and he's told you how to get right with him through repentance and faith. Don't scoff at that fact. Don't be like those people in the days of Noah. And Jesus speaks about people in the days of Noah that the end is like a new flood as well. In Matthew 24, flip back to Matthew 24. Uh, page 983 of the Black Church Bibles. Matthew 24, verse 36. 982 of your Black Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 36, where Jesus himself says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a reference to himself. He's coming back. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. You look around at our society, people are eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage without a concern for the end of all things being near. Is that you? Are you going to go and eat your Christmas lunch? No, Christmas lunch. I'm getting too close to Christmas. That's why we had that Christmas carol before, isn't it? Eat, eat your lunch after this service. Are you going to go and eat and drink with no concern at all for the fact that the end of all things is near? Or are you going to be someone who repents of your sins, believes the good news, shuns sin and lives in regard to the Spirit? That's what Peter was talking about in previous week. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. He's speaking about how people who have heard the gospel in the past may be judged now but they live according to God in regard to the Spirit. They're people who have changed. They don't plunge into the flood of dissipation that people do around them. Instead, they resist sin. Is that you? Do you recognise that the end of all things is coming and, in fact, the end of all things is near? And have you responded in repentance and faith? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace towards us, your mercy towards us in telling us that the end of all things is near, that you have warned us. Lord, it is terrible that people would hear the warning and then refuse to believe it and refuse to put themselves right with you. We pray that no one in this room is like that, that everybody in this room has repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ so that they are right with you so that when the Son of Man does indeed come they will not be found out but they will be found by him and taken to be with him in paradise. Lord we pray that we may not also keep this message to ourselves it is a sign of craziness in our society to talk about the end of the world as being near but Lord we pray that we may be willing to be scoffed at by others for saying that the end is near if it means that some people may be saved from that dreadful day of the Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen.